Our sermon text this evening comes from Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. Here again the word of God Almighty. The promise that Abraham would be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect, because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Let's pray. Almighty God, we grant that you would open our ears, soften our hearts, or that you would purify the mouth of your servant, that your word would accomplish all according to your holy will. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Previously, we saw with Abraham that his blessing, his being justified by faith, came before he was circumcised. Therefore, the blessing of Abraham did not depend upon circumcision. Now, someone might say, okay, Paul, we grant that Abraham believed and was counted righteous and then was circumcised, but what about the rest of Israel, beginning with Isaac and continuing up through Moses and David and so on up until this very day? Weren't they circumcised first, and then received the promise. So in this passage, the apostle is showing that the promise not only doesn't depend upon circumcision, but it also does not come through law. We're going to look at two points tonight, just two really short little points because he had pancakes. I know that, I know that you all would like more points, but I, I love you too much. But we're going to look tonight at two points. The first is the promise of salvation, the promise. And the second is the passing on of that promise. So first of all, the promise itself, the promise here is that Abraham would be heir of the world. In verse 13, for the promise that he would be heir of the world. Now this promise is tied to the story of Abraham in the book of Genesis And I'm going to read just a a sampling of uh, portions of the promises given to Abraham in the book of Genesis. They are in chapters 12, 13, 15, 17, and 22, if you want to read them yourselves. But here are some of the highlights of these promises. The Lord says, I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Further the Lord said, All the land which thou seest, to thee I will give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Look now toward heaven and count the stars. If thou be able to number them, so shall thy seed be. The Lord said, My covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. For a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. 
and I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. In thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So then there's a summary of the promise given to Abraham. You see the three basic parts to this promise. And the first is land, right? He began telling him about this land that he would inherit and called it the land of Canaan. And the second is seed or descendants or offspring. And then the third is the concept of blessing. Abraham himself being blessed, his enemies being cursed, and then indeed the whole world being blessed through him, nations being blessed through him. And yet, the way that the apostle refers to these promises is that it would make Abraham the heir of the world. And what we must understand here is that the Lord's promise to Abraham was always much bigger than merely the land of Canaan and the son Isaac and the blessing that Abraham enjoyed in his earthly life. These things all typified and and pointed to greater things yet to come, such that Abraham, by faith, really did become heir of the world when Abraham's descendant, the Lord Jesus Christ, the king of the world, took possession of everything. And how this works is everyone who belongs to Jesus Christ, who is the king of all creation, now receives the promises given to Abraham. So the physical land of Canaan, that land flowing with milk and honey, typified it. It pointed forward to more than the land of Canaan. It pointed forward even to heaven and to all of creation being renewed and replenished and given over to God's people. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 9 and 10, we read that by faith, Abraham sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Do you see that that even in his own life, Abraham was looking for something more than the land of Canaan. He was looking for a heavenly city, a city whose builder and maker is God. This is what the scriptures mean when they say that the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham. He received promises not merely of earthly possession or earthly descendants, but heavenly splendor. Now, the physical seed, of course, we see in the book of Genesis, Abraham has a son named Isaac, and then Jacob, and then eventually the 12 tribes of Israel. But that was never the end of that promise. That was the beginning of it. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, we read, To Abraham and his seed were the promises made. And it does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one. And to thy seed, which is Christ. Meaning Abraham's descendant is the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to just point out that in this verse... Let's follow the logic here. To Abraham and his seed were the promises made. So that's Abraham and his descendants. Now, it's interesting that the word seed, whether in Greek or in Hebrew, is a singular noun. And sometimes it's used collectively. Sometimes it's used singularly, right? 
But it says, and God didn't say to seeds, plural, as if Abraham had, multi, had descendants of two different kinds, right? He does not have um, Gentile descendants and Jew descendants. No, he has seeds, and they are one. And thy seed, which is Christ. There is one final descendant of Abraham that summarizes, that brings together all of those promises. Jesus Christ brings together all of those promises. And then every believer in Jesus Christ becomes, by virtue of their relationship with Jesus Christ, an inheritor of the promise to Abraham. The third aspect of those promises we saw were blessing. Blessing to Abraham, but more than blessing to Abraham, blessing to many nations and all peoples through Abraham. And again, those temporal blessings, typified heavenly blessings, eternal spiritual blessings. I want you to think about the centurion we just read about. That Roman centurion, that Gentile, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, received the blessing that was promised to Abraham. And he received it when he believed in Jesus Christ. And that is exactly what the Lord meant when he said that Abraham would be a blessing to many nations. Galatians chapter 3 verse 8 says, The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, like the centurion, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. So the blessing that was promised to Abraham is extended to everyone from whatever nation who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the promise. The promise that he should be heir of the world is that he will and him and his descendants will inherit the property, the land, that he will have many descendants, and indeed the Christ would be his descendant, and that they, he and they would be blessings to all the world. Let's look for a moment at the parties to this promise, who are included. We see it's to Abraham, but it's not to him alone in verse 13. Look at the promise that he would be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law. So the promise that was to Abraham was not to Abraham only. The promise to Abraham was indeed to all of his descendants. The Apostle Paul says that it was to Abraham's seed because each successive generation of Abraham's descendants was to take hold of the promise given to Abraham and therefore inherit all of those things promised. So that's the promise and the parties to that promise. I want to look now for a moment and the rest of this at how this promise is passed along. How does this pass from one man to another, from one generation to another. And we see here that it is not through law, but through the righteousness of faith. There are two assertions in verse 13, that the institution of the promise was not to Abraham through the law, but through faith. Secondly, that the passing on of this promise to Abraham's seed was not through law, but through Faith. So that's in verse 13, and then verses 14 and 15 really serve as an explanation of this. So the apostle has described this principle by which the promise, how did it get from Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob to the Roman centurion? How does it pass along? 
Verse 14, he says, It is for if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. We should understand those of the law here not to mean those who lived in Moses' day necessarily, but rather to those who by a merely physical or external or legal or fleshly claim to the promise, those who relied upon some kind of human effort apart from faith, they are those of the law. They are those who took the, the laws given to Moses and treated them like a covenant of works. They are those who would oppose the apostle, those who said, if you are not circumcised, you can't be saved, or those who would tithe their mint and dill and cumin, but would not lift a finger to help others. Those who sought by self-righteousness to merit the promise from God rather than to receive it by faith. Legally speaking, Ishmael was Abraham's heir, but he was not the heir according to promise. Legally, physically speaking, according to the the, uh, covenant that was given by God, the Pharisees in Christ's day were Abraham's descendants. But remember what John the baptizer said to them? He said, think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children of Abraham. You see, what John the baptizer is saying there is that a hard, unbelieving heart is no better a son of Abraham than a stone would be. Though they had a legal right to the promise, their lack of faith made it so they were not possessors, not receiving the thing that had been promised. The Lord had made a promise to Abraham and his seed, and he required of them faith. And that promise, having been given on the condition of faith, the Lord could not change without violating his own vow and making void the very faith by which Abraham had been counted righteous. Do you see that? That if God gave Abraham the promise through faith, but then later changed the deal, that God would be going back on his own holy promise, his own vow? I'm sure you have all had a circumstance where, whether in a business dealing or an arrangement with a family member, where at the beginning there was one arrangement, And then in the middle of things, the arrangement changed and the conditions and the requirements changed. And immediately you recognize that as unfair and unjust. Well, men do that, but God does not do that. If he gives a promise and he makes the condition for that promise to be faith, he does not go back on his word and take away that promise which he said would be by faith. God does not break his vow. He swears by himself and he keeps his promise. The apostle further explains in verse 15, because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. So he's saying that if God were to make the promise through law, not necessarily any particular law, but if he were to make it through law, the standard of of righteousness, if it were received through law, human merit, human performance, 
descent from a particular line. Um, if it, anything external, anything that man can accomplish on his own, he is saying that that would nullify faith and make void the promise. And he continues explaining, because of the law brings about wrath. Now, we've seen in Romans so far that the apostle has argued that wrath, which is God's displeasure, God's anger, right? God's anger, God's, God's vengeance upon the wicked. It is owed to everyone who transgresses law. If you break God's law, you bring upon yourself the sentence of God's judgment, right? In, in Romans 1, verse 18, we read that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men. So, wrath is owed to everyone who transgresses God's law. God has to maintain his righteous standard. We also know from the book of Romans, especially from chapters 2 and 3, that everyone has and does transgress the law of God. There is none righteous. No, not even one. Romans 3.10. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what the apostle is telling us here is that if God had made the promise or the passing on of the promise to depend upon law, then no one would inherit the world. And everyone would inherit wrath because no one has ever or could ever meet the condition. On the basis of law, that is to say, on the basis of what we are owed, the promise would have been of no effect. Therefore, see the kindness of God in ensuring that Abraham and his seed could inherit the promise by making it come through faith and not through the law. Incidentally, this is why we maintain, contrary to some who erroneously teach, that the covenant given to Moses was a covenant of works. And that the Old Testament is a covenant of, of works and law, and, and God was more strict then. That is far from the case. Remember that Abraham came before Moses, and God told Abraham that the promise was through faith. God did not come along after Abraham and give to his descendants another covenant that was therefore by works. The promise is by faith and faith alone. It was that way for Moses. It was that way for Christ's day. And it is that way for you today. So we maintain that the covenant given to Moses was in no sense a covenant of works, but was in every way a covenant of grace, the same as what the Lord gave to Adam after he fell, the same as what the Lord gave to Abraham. So here we have seen the promise that Abraham and his seed will be heirs of world. The Lord Jesus spoke of this in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meek you can take as a synonym for those who empty, have nothing of themselves, but rather trust themselves to God. They believe in God to do for them what they cannot do for themselves. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. So that is the promise to be heirs of the world. And notice that, that Abraham's being heir of the world includes all of those things. It includes the land, it includes descendants, and it includes the blessing. Everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus inherits that property. 
right? Everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus is a descendant of Abraham and has to themselves the promise that their descendants will receive that promise. So that is how the promise is passed along, right? The promise is extended to believers and even to their children. However, only those children who take hold of that promise by faith will receive the thing which was promised. Understand this. Every child born into a, cov- into a believing household is extended that promise. Just like all of the Jews were. All of those opponents of Jesus Christ in the Gospels, they had all been born under the promise because they were descendants of Abraham. But if they refused it, if they did not believe, they did not get the thing which was promised. There are some implications from this. First of all, you who believe are Abraham's seed. Abraham is your father. You are the true descendants of Abraham. More so than anyone on earth can claim by blood, you are Abraham's seed. Listen to the Apostle Paul in Galatians 3.29. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to promise. You are heirs. You who believe in Christ will inherit the world. You will inherit all of that blessing. Following from that, your children are legal heirs of the promise. But again, like you, they cannot inherit the promise, the thing that was promised apart from faith. They too must believe even as Abraham did, even as Isaac did, and Jacob, and John the Baptist, and the disciples, etc. The Apostle Paul says this in Galatians 4, 28. We, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. Now when we speak of this, of the covenant being passed along, right, being extended to the children of believers... And yet those children, if they don't believe, they will forfeit their claim to the promise. Sometimes people draw the wrong inference from that. Sometimes what they say then is the promise is no longer to our children. That would be the wrong inference. Again, observe the whole of Scripture and see how God worked, how he worked in believing families and extended the promise to children even before they could speak a word. Think of those eight-day-old infants bearing the sign and seal of righteousness, the same sign and seal of righteousness that Abraham had was placed on his son. That was a spiritual promise with a spiritual sign and seal. So too it is for covenant children. So there's one error we could make, and, and that would be to cut them off to excise them from the church and not give to them their, their birthright according to the promise of God. The other mistake that we could make is to suppose that simply because they claim Abraham for their father or a believing father for their father, that they need not believe and follow after Christ in faith. But your children are, as you sit here today, legal heirs. They have that legal standing. Therefore, for us, for you this evening, your task is really twofold in light of what we've read tonight. 
Okay, you have the promise to be heir of the world through faith. And then you have these principles of succession. The promise is passed along in believing families through faith. Do you notice that in the promise that Abraham had to believe not only for his own sake, but for those who would come after him? He had to believe God's promise to him concerning not only himself, but concerning also his descendants. So this is your task. Two parts. Earnestly pursue the promise by faith. Earnestly pursue the promise by faith. You've heard the promise. You've been given the promise. It belongs to you. Do you know that if someone were to play the lottery and they had the winning ticket and they won, but they did not go to the lottery officials and claim their prize, they would never get the money? And that is how it could be to a Christian. If, if you, you, ha- you are an heir, you're a millionaire. But if you don't go and grab hold of the money, you don't get it. So too it is with God. If you do not go to Jesus Christ and grab hold of him, you do not get the world. You do not get forgiveness of sins. You do not get the blessing. You don't get any of it. Therefore, earnestly pursue by faith the promise of God. Secondly, particularly to you parents and grandparents and you young people who have not had children, consider this. Diligently pass on the promise by faith, making use of all of God's appointed means to that end and trusting God to accomplish what he has promised. You see, we parents, we have to parent by faith, right? Abraham could not see yet what God had promised him. He had no children when God gave him the promise. And he had to believe that God was going to do something that was unseen. So too with our children. We must work as if God is going to keep his promises. You must diligently pass on this promise to your children. Indeed, you must pass. We, by believing the gospel, by living by faith, we actually preserve the promise for everyone who comes after us, right? If we stop living by faith the light of the gospel grows dim and no one hears it and no one is saved. But if we walk by faith, if we really trust the Lord Jesus, then that light grows bright and then we are the city on the hill that cannot be hidden and that brings even more to the gospel. So do this in our own homes, in our church, in our neighborhoods, but also as we have opportunity everywhere. Trust God to accomplish what he has promised. God is going to bring in all of his elect. God is going to bring in people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. God is going to bring in all of those who will become descendants of Abraham. As I said, Abraham believed the promise not only for himself, but also for those who came after him. You cannot obtain what God promised to you apart from faith, and neither can those who come after you. Let's pray. Almighty God, we praise you for your precious promises that you indeed made it by faith. And apart from the Holy Spirit, we couldn't even do that, O God, but because you have sworn to give your spirit to your chosen ones, we can believe. We can believe, and by believing, O God, we receive all the things that you have promised. 
Thank you and help us, O Lord. Help us to walk by faith. Help us to believe in the Son of God and so be saved. Help us, O Lord, to live by that faith. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.